0: one hope church glad each and every one of you are with us here today um it's definitely a special day in life for our church and we thank you for being here and being a part of it um you know, it's it's interesting though. We always have, you know, we always have good news and bad news. Always, you know, it's like they come together a, a lot of times. And so, you know, want to be just just mindful of that even this morning. Um, yesterday, we got a message from uh, Carrie, saying her um, cousin, who's twenty, who was twenty two years old, was um, it was a hit and run, and you know, he's no longer on this earth. Um, message yesterday from Delaney with her grandmother that's had Parkinson's for a long time and, you know, had a stroke. And so, you know, it it seems like every day there there are things to cry about and things to, you know, be joyful about. Um, And it's not wrong to have those same emotions on the same day. You know, there's there's things we can do. You know, some days are are days where we only mourn and some days are days where we only have joy. Um, But there's a lot of days in life where those things are going to be, Mixed, and so you know we acknowledge that um, this morning as we uh, go into to God's Word, we have a lot of things here um, to be joyful about it, to be excited about. But we have them in the in the context of a of a broken world, and a world that needs this message, that needs this hope, that needs the hope of Jesus Christ. And so uh, that's what we wanted. Um, really keep our minds on this morning as we look in Acts chapter 4 and we're just continuing our study uh, through the book of Acts a few, a few weeks ago we started um, Acts chapter 1 verse 1 and we're just working our way straight through and so this morning uh, we're in Acts chapter 4 uh, verse 1 but the timing is, is really really good for this particular passage uh, but I want to just give a, a little bit of a, re- a, a refresher. Uh, For those who have been with us through the study and for those um, who are visiting with us today, just to um, set the scene of where we are. And so in chapter one, we have Jesus giving the message to his disciples, this key message that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, this is the message and the mission you know, that Jesus gave for his disciples. You know, wait in Jerusalem until you're filled with the Holy Spirit, and then you know, proclaim this message. Where you know, it's going to start in Jerusalem. It's going to continue on in Judea and Samaria, and it's going to go to the ends of the earth. Um, and so, the first seven chapters of the book focus on the beginning of that witness, the beginning of that testimony in the city of Jerusalem. And so, in chapter two. We have what we call um, Pentecost and the, the birth of the church. They're celebrating um, a festival that had been uh, with them for, you know, generations upon generations. But now it has this new meeting. It was a harvest festival, but now it's about this new spiritual harvest as God bursts forth, you know, his church um, into the world. And he does this through many uh, great testimonies. And the people are very bold bold. Um, to share the word, and Peter gives this very, very powerful message. And then last week we saw in chapter 3 of Peter and John going to the temple, and they're going to tell the people there about the message of Jesus Christ, and there's a, a man who is, has been lame from birth, and he's about 40 years old at this point, so he's lame from birth, and he's begging you know, for money. And Peter says you know, to him, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have, In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. So the man then was healed. All the people were amazed. And then Peter then preached um, his second message to the people. And it's a message that they are guilty. We need to understand that. that. The beginning of his message is a message of you are guilty of having crucified Jesus, the Messiah. But that's not the end of the message, because the message continues with this hope. You can repent, you can change, you can turn, you can ask God for forgiveness, you can believe in the one that he sent, the one who died on the cross for our sins, and the one who rose from the dead, and, you, you know, you can have life in his name. And so, again, the, that first part of the message, you know, it's always hard for people to hear. You know, whenever, I, you know, if I, if I do something that's wrong and somebody calls me out on it, it's always, it's hard to hear that. It's hard to hear at the beginning, you know, you were you were wrong. Nobody likes to hear you were wrong. I mean, I don't know, anybody, I don't know a single person on this planet that when they woke up, wake up in the morning they go, you know, I hope today somebody tells me I'm wrong about something. No. You know, we, we all want to have the idea that we are right or, and that we're living right and we're doing right and we have the right beliefs and the right ideas. But sometimes um, that assumption gets challenged. And so here... Peter is challenging the assumption of the people that they're A-OK. He challenges that assumption that they have, that assumption that all people basically have, you know, to a certain degree. And he says, you know, we're, we're guilty. and It's not just a theoretical guilt, but it's an, an actual guilt. It's an actual guilt. And so let's read in beginning in first, chapter 4, verse 1. And, I, and, and trust me, I hope that we don't leave anybody this morning just with guilt. That would completely... Missed the point of the message altogether. So Acts chapter 4 verse 1 says, While Peter and John were speaking to the people, they were confronted by the priests, the captain of the temple guard, and some of the Sadducees. And these leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus there is a resurrection of the dead. They arrested them, and since it was already evening, put them in jail until morning. But many of the people who heard their message believed it. So the number of men who believed now totaled about 5,000. And so we'll stop there for a moment. We just read the first three verses there. And I just want to make a couple of comments about this that are important. And so we see here uh, these different religious leaders. You have Pharisees and you have Sadducees. Uh, Now, those are the two kind of dominant religious groups at the time. The Pharisees did believe in a resurrection of the dead. The Sadducees did not believe in any sort of physical resurrection. And so they disagreed about this point. But they're all disturbed that the disciples are teaching that there is a resurrection through Jesus. They have this in common, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, not every single individual one of them, but as a whole, they have in common that they are against this idea in preaching that the resurrection is through Jesus Christ. And again, it's, we see throughout the, the New Testament that you know, Jesus, Jesus himself is this, is this hinge point. Because you very rarely find anyone, even in the scriptures, that has a problem with God, like this theoretical concept of God. But when you start talking about Jesus being God, And Jesus going to the cross and dying for our sins. And Jesus being the one who's risen from the dead. And that there's life in his name. Now that's much more specific. And and some conflicts can arise over that understanding. And so they have this, um, they're disturbed. It says, you know, they're very disturbed. And so they throw Peter and John into prison, and again, now, they're, they're in Roman-occupied territory, and, and, but they have a certain authority, and they have authority with other Jewish people to put them in prison or not put them in prison. They have the ability to do these sort of things. And so they put them in prison till the morning. Verse 5 says, The next day the council of all the rulers and elders and teachers of religious law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, along with Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and other relatives of the high priest. And they brought in the two disciples and demanded, By what power or in whose name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of our people, are we being questioned today because we have got, done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you want to know how he was healed? Let me, let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene. The man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says, The stone that you builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. And a great number of leaders now assembled. uh, Sorry, let me just stop there. So under heaven and earth by which we must be saved. It's in verse 12. So what I want to say here is that you you see this great number of of leaders are now assembled, and they question Peter and John. But as they question John and Peter, Peter is very wise in that he asks a couple of questions back. He just doesn't immediately respond to answer the question. But first he asks a question. He says, first, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? So Peter is asking, is this why we're really here is this why we're in prison? And he's asking his audience, the religious leaders, to be honest about their intentions and their motivations. You know, it's, it's kind of a, it's a question that causes a, hopefully causes a, a self-check in their minds of why do we really have Peter and John here? It says, are we really here because we've done a good deed that this man who was for 40 years couldn't walk now can walk? Is this why we're here? And then, they, and then he asks the second question, do you want to know how he was healed? Do you want to know the answer to that question? So here we see Peter digging deeper. He says, you know, if, if you know the truth, is that going to change anything for you? If the answer isn't what you want to hear, are you going to be able to accept the truth? And, you know, we find this is true, not just then, but also today, that some people are so intent on keeping the status quo that they will deny obvious truth. It's like they're, they're allergic to change. <laughs> some people are allergic to change. Um, and, and the reason why, in this case, the people here are allergic to change is because the, that change is going to cost them. It's going to take away some of their power and their privilege and their position and they're going to have to become humble. They you know, they're kind of at the pinnacle of it all now in the current system. And that would if they accept the truth that Peter and John are saying, then then they have to humble themselves and take a lower place. They don't necessarily want to do that. They want to keep their status quo where they have the power and the position and they get the respect of the people and they're willing to hold, you know, to try to hold on to that at almost any cost, even the cost of knowing God as God intended for them to know him. So in verse 12, it said, you know, there is salvation in in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. You know, really, our church is meeting this morning because we believe this to be true. Our church is named One Hope Church because we believe that Jesus is our one hope, and he's our only hope. We don't say we, are, we have one hope among many hopes, church. You know, it is a, it is a bold c- claim to make, but that is the claim that, the, that Jesus made about himself when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And it's the claim that the apostles then continued to make about Jesus. So no one has to make that claim. But in order to have Jesus, you have to make that claim. Because that's who he is saying who he is. Now, what I want us to be very careful of is that we cannot be, we cannot be arrogant about that. You know, if we believe that Jesus is the truth, and he, I mean, he's the way, and he's the life, and there isn't life outside of him, And we claim to have entered into that. By what means have we entered into that? You've entered into it by the grace of God through faith, right? Not of works, nothing that you've done. There's nothing that you have to brag about. We do not say God saved us because we deserve to be saved. God saved us because we were good enough or because we're extra special people or anything else. But God in his grace and his love and his mercy has saved us. We should, of all people, be the most humble people because we have entered into something that we did not work for and that we did not deserve and that we did not earn. We should, of all people, be most humble. And fortunately, and, and, I, and I use the term loosely, you know, when we talk about Christians, I mean, there are Christians who are obviously true believers, you know, in Jesus, but then there's, you know, cultural society and what sort of reputation do Christians have in our country today? And when you ask people who aren't followers of Jesus, one of the reasons they don't want, you know, they're they're hesitant about being a follower of Jesus is because of the, the arrogance of Christians that present themselves as being better than. Well, we can't really have anything to do with that because we have to know who we are and that without Jesus, we've got nothing. That it's all in him and on him. And so there should be a, tremendous humility and we should have the reputation of being the most humble people on the planet. The most humble people. Because we have no place of any people. We have no place for for arrogance because as the scripture says the only one that we can boast in is Jesus Christ himself. We can say look at what Jesus did and look at what he did on the cross for us and look how he died on the cross for our sins and look at his power over sin and over death and yes we Celebrate that, and we're not ashamed to celebrate that, but we come before you humbly, begging you to enter into the same grace that we have. We come to you humbly. We are not ones who came up with the answer on our own. But we are ones who have been given the answer. (laughs) I mean, it really is. You pass this test because someone gave you the answer. You didn't just figure it out. It's not out of your own intellect that you've come to into this relationship with Jesus, and you're with Jesus because you're so smart, or because you're so good, or because you're so talented. It's because of God's grace and his love and someone shared the answers with you. Because if somebody doesn't share that answer with you, if somebody doesn't share that answer with me, I fail the test. I go into the test and I've got a blank. Somebody had to tell me that none of us came up with this on our own. I believe it's revealed by God and give it to us in the scriptures. You know, one of the things we're also about this morning. You know, we're celebrating. You know, baptism this morning. You know, baptism is a is a public profession of faith. It's a it's a public um, profession of something that's already happened inwardly in the person's life and you know in the, in their own being. So we get to celebrate that this morning with Riley, who is seven years old. And and you know, and I know sometimes people have a question about that, like. Can a, can a seven-year-old really know and understand, you know, what he's doing and, and what this means? And I'll be honest with you this morning that, that I can be a skeptical, you know, person. And it's kind of ironic that I would be a skeptical person when I would tell you today that when I was four years old in my sister's room, and I said, I want to go be with Jesus, and she's like 11. How do I do that? And she explains to me the gospel, and there I believe in Jesus. And at that moment, my life was changed as a four-year-old. Yet, even I... I'm always skeptical when a kid says, "Yes, I believe in Jesus." Like, well, do you really understand? You know, do you really understand? Um, even last night, I had to apologize to my daughter because we have been talking about baptism, and she's getting close to turning six. And you know, and I'm doing that same thing. Like, do you really understand? Do you really understand? And last night, she's like, "Daddy, I know what it means, and I want to be baptized." I'm like, okay. She actually wanted to be baptized today. I'm like, I'm sorry. I am so sorry. There are some people who will not be happy with me if they miss that So, or with us. So we, let's just calm it down and wait here a little bit. But these kids can and come to believe in Jesus at a young age and believe in him and know him and know what they're doing. So I've got something that is from Riley that I'd like to read this morning to tell you how much a little kid... <laughs> can understand. <laughs> okay. So this is a, he wrote about Easter. And so he says, people say Easter is when the Easter bunny gives people eggs. But that's not what Easter is about. Easter is a special holiday when Jesus, who died on Good Friday, rose from the dead. Let me tell you the whole story of Jesus dying on the cross and resurrected on Easter Sunday. After Passover... When we celebrate when the death angel passed over the Israelites, Jesus prayed in the Gethsemane, the Gethsemane Garden. Now, you can tell he wrote this because the spelling isn't, isn't there, <laughs> but it's still impressive. Okay, He prayed in the, in the Gethsemane Garden for, I think, one hour. When he was done, the three disciples were fast asleep, and when they woke up, he said, The hour has come. When Judas, one of Jesus's 12 disciples, came with lo- loads of guards to betray Jesus, when suddenly one of Jesus's disciples cut off a soldier's ear, Jesus healed the soldier's ear and brought the soldier's ear, and then he went to the court where the Pharisees and Sadducees were they made decisions to choose death. But they dragged him to Pontius Pilate, then he was nailed to a cross. Later he got buried in a tomb. On Sunday an angel said he is risen. And Jesus was. That's how Jesus died and came back to life. And he's got little drawings. And then he's got this other one. that This art where he gives the whole story of Jesus going to the cross. And then going into the tomb and being raised. And you'll even notice here he has sin. And then he has sin here with an arrow drawn and put onto Jesus. He understands Mm, it's good stuff. The message is simple enough for a kid to understand it. And we pray, you know, the earlier a person comes to understand this message and truly to believe in Jesus and to begin walking with him, the better it is for their whole life, the better it is for the people that they are around for the rest of their lives. It's good. And so we need to care about children and pray for children and pray for children in our community to come to know Jesus because there are a lot of kids in our community that don't know anybody, anything about Jesus and they don't have anybody in their life to tell them about it. And that's why we have to be involved in our communities and in our schools. And why we have to care about that and care about the whole person that's there, the whole person that's there. So let's continue on verse 13. We'll have to get moving a little bit here. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing right there among them, there was nothing the council could say. So they ordered Peter and John out of the chamber and conferred, Among themselves. Stop just for a moment, just to remind us the boldness that they saw the boldness of Peter and John. Now, obviously, something happened because remember when Jesus was arrested, other than Judas, all the rest of the disciples scattered. They all scattered, they all hid, they were all afraid. And Peter even denied three times that he even knew who Jesus was to the point of cursing about it. So emphatic in his denial that he even knew Jesus. And now here he is, along with John, with their great boldness. Well, what happened? Well, we know what happened. They saw what happened when Jesus died on the cross. And they saw the, the earthquake and the, scar, you know, the, the darkness during the middle of the day for three hours. And they had met the resurrected Jesus. And they would never be the same. And they wouldn't be timid anymore, but they were going to be bold about what they believed. They could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. You know, Peter and John wouldn't have been allowed to, I think, today to preach in most churches. they have the right, wouldn't have had the right paperwork. But what we need is we need people who've been with Jesus. We need people who've been with Jesus, who are filled with the Holy Spirit, who teach the truth of the Scriptures. Because, you know, it says they could see that they had no special training, but that doesn't mean that Peter and, and John were ignorant of what the Scriptures said. They certainly weren't. And we see that in their messages and how much they're, and they just quote in the Old Testament over and over again. They, they knew what was up? They didn't just walk around going, Well, we don't know much, and it's okay for us not to know much. That wasn't their attitude, that wasn't their perspective. But, you know, they could, t- you know, the, the rulers, the Pharisees and, and Sadducees, could, could tell that they hadn't been in their schools and learned what they taught and how they taught it and, and how they would say things. There was a difference. So they sent them out in verse 16, it says, What should we do with these men? They asked each other. We can't deny that they have performed a miraculous sign and everybody in Jerusalem knows about it. But to keep them from spreading their propaganda any further, we must warn them not to speak to anyone in Jesus' name again. So they called the apostles back in and commanded them never again to speak or to teach in the name of Jesus. Now again, that, those questions that Peter asked come to the front again like, Do you want to know? Do you really want to know? Because here, they acknowledge this happened. This man that couldn't walk now can walk. It was done in the name of Jesus. We can't deny these facts, yet they're unwilling to be changed by those facts. They're unwilling to humble themselves. And so, with hardness of hearts, with hardness of hearts, they continued to feel, fulfill the prophecy about them that, you know, had already been, been spoken. That the, the, you know, stone that the builders, you know, rejected was the chief cornerstone. That they were continuing on in that, even as they heard the message. They just kept going in their way. And that's a terribly, terribly sad thing. And you notice they say, you know, we have to keep them from spreading their propaganda any further. Of course, I mean, that tells you their perspective about it, because they're not saying we have to stop their, their truth. You know, it's, truth or propaganda can be determined by the agenda of, of which side a person is, person is on on an issue. And so, verse 19, it says they commanded, verse 18 said they called the apostles back in and commanded them never to speak again, to teach or to speak in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied... Do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. Love that response. If you're a follower of Jesus morning, you know pay attention here to this part because for you this is the this is the key part. That this is a this is a awesome response, it's a wise response. If it shows that there's a priority in our obedience. Earlier, Peter had already acknowledged, you are the rulers of our people. He he acknowledged that that this council had a certain authority. But here he says, is it right for us to obey God or men? And this is one of those important biblical traditions that we have (laughs) that goes back to the book of Genesis. That when it comes to obeying God or obeying people, we always obey God even if the people have written a law. You can break that law if that law would cause you to disobey God. You see that in the Old Testament um, when the Hebrews were in Egypt and they were becoming numerous and the Egyptians told the Hebrew midwives, when the males are born, you must kill them at birth. They didn't do it. Why? Because that was against god 's way, and so they disobeyed the authority of the nation that they were in and so that 's something for us um, that 's important for us to keep in mind when it comes to a lot of different things in our our cultures and our societies and whatever nation you may find yourself at any particular time that as long as the laws don't disagree with God. We should obey those laws. But when those laws cross over, there's a point, and there's a place. There is, there is a place, and in, in as far as being followers of Jesus, there's a place even for civil disobedience, and that is not unpatriotic. It is just having a priority that says that God is more important. You know, today um, with International Justice Mission, it's you know churches all over all over the states are celebrating. You know, the Stand for Justice. You know, Stand for Freedom Day. We want to be a little bit a part of that. But, you know, we are a part of that. You know, tomorrow um, Ellie leaves. Uh, you know, she was here; she's a college student with us, but she leaves for Bolivia. She'll be li- living in Bolivia for a year, working with International Justice Mission, standing up for justice and helping. You know, the fight against those who are oppressed. You know, to protect those who are oppressed and those who are abused and. You know, again, to help in this case to help little children, and to see justice for them. And so there, there, is, there are points as far as of Jesus where we have to stand up, and we have even have to stand up times in the face of opposition, in the face of those who are doing wrong and doing evil, and say, "This is not right." And I understand you might not like me if I say this is not right, but I still have to say this is not right because I have to answer to a higher authority. I have to answer. To God, you know, and we need to understand. With this, there is never we should never have an, an intentional desire to offend anyone. Peter and John are not walking into here going, you know, how can we offend and what can we and say to really inflame these Pharisees and these Sadducees? What will really push their buttons? That's not their agenda. Their agenda, ultimately, their desire is to see even there, these religious rulers and, and leaders come to faith in Jesus themselves. The Apostle Paul went as far to say that he would be damned if it meant that all of Israel would be saved. That's strong. The love is there, but that love still has a truth with it and has a boldness with it and is willing to stand up and say, you know, this is right and, and this, is, this is wrong. And is willing to say it when it's not popular and is willing to say it against the majority. Because yes, the church is growing here, but the church is tiny in comparison to what else is going on in the city of Jerusalem. And they kind of know, I think, here, that they're they're in God's hands, but everybody's at risk when they're preaching Jesus, and Jesus crucified, and that, that that was a wrong thing to do, because that's part of their message, that this wasn't justice. This was wrong, it was evil. What you did was wrong. So they're putting the whole community at risk when they say that. When they preach that Jesus rose from the dead and there's a resurrection in him, they are putting that whole community of people at risk, even their very lives. They're putting their wives at risk. They're putting their children at risk. They're putting everyone at risk as they give this message. We need to understand that to understand the true faith of the first followers of Jesus. And their faith wasn't a cheap faith, and it wasn't an easy faith. It was was costly. It was costly. And it was uncomfortable at times. But this is the key here in verse 20 when he says, we cannot stop telling about everything we've seen and heard. We cannot stop. You know, runners and the runners have you know a lot of times they put they're on their run on their Facebook and they put like "can't stop, won't stop." Well, it's like, well, you kind of did because you told me you just went seven miles. You're not still running, okay? But but I can understand it. That's your life. You want to run. You know, can't stop, won't stop. I get it. I get it. But if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, then I then I hope that your attitude about sharing this message of hope that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, that there's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved, that you have an attitude or just, I mean, out of the overflowing of your heart, that when it comes to sharing Jesus, your hashtag is can't stop, won't stop. Can't stop, won't stop. I hope you have that in you, but I want to be clear about this because it's not something, you know, just to try to manufacture in yourself. You know, I don't want you walking out here this morning. and Go well. You know, I, I really am supposed to share Jesus more. So, therefore, this week I'm going to make a real effort to tell someone about Jesus. Can't stop, won't stop. <laughs> That's not what we're looking for here. Because you know, we've got we've got a lot of teaching in here, but this this is a this is a coaching. This is a coaching opportunity. So let me, just, let me just coach for a minute, please. You know, when we talk about sports, you know, it's football season. So one of the things you want to do in football is you want to put the ball into the star player's hands, most athletic, your best player's hands, and give them an opportunity to do something and get across that line and score that touchdown. That's what football's about. There's a lot of guys that have got to do a lot of different roles, but you know the whole agenda is put the ball in the playmakers' hands, let them make a play. That's not what our faith is about. I'm glad to tell you this morning. It's not what our faith is about. Yes, we have some super, extraordinarily gifted and talented people, but the church really moves forward when everybody has the gospel of Jesus in their heart and it overflows out of them. See, what I want to say with that this morning is every single follower of Jesus has opportunity, if not every day, almost every day, to share the love and good news of Jesus with other people. Everybody has that. Every follower of Jesus has that every day. So it's got to come from the love because Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. I mean, we have to acknowledge that here the disciples of Jesus are keeping that commandment that was given back in chapter 1, verse 8, of you will be my witnesses. You're going to go tell other people about this. But their desire to keep that command comes out of the love, an overflow of love in their hearts. And that goes back to what Jesus said when Jesus simply said, if you love me, you'll keep... My commandments, and you know, and and it's not about just having a bunch of rules. What, What I'm afraid we've reduced that to is like, well, if I don't do these things, and I do do these things, and I'm a good follower of Jesus, and I've done my responsibility, that's not the sort of love. And even as Michael talked about that last week, that the sort of intimacy that that Jesus wants with us. But it's that we are so connected and so in love with Jesus that we want to do the things that He wants us to do, and we want to have the attitude that He wants us to. Like it's just, it's not even like just a want. It's just, it just naturally comes out of us because we're filled with the Spirit. We're filled with the love of Jesus, and what we love, we can't help but share about. And the, you know, the thing about that is that there's a, there's just a truth that we cannot deny that the people who know us know what we love. Like, if I know you, if I've known you for any number of months, I can usually give a very, you know, an accurate description of the, of the things that you care about, the things that are important to you in, in your life, and you can do the same for me. I mean, it, it's no mystery that I like basketball. I mean, that's not hidden from anyone, and you know I like it because I play it, I watch it, I talk about it. The things in your life that you love. If you have children, you love your children. You talk to other people about them. If you love your spouse, you talk to people about your spouse. Bernardo got engaged yesterday. You don't think he's going to tell somebody about that? i ain't going to tell everybody about that. And he should. But we share what we love. And so again, that's why I'm not trying to, to say, okay, just out of a duty, just out of an obligation... Go share the love of Jesus, you know, go share the message of Jesus with somebody this week. That's really not going to work, and it might work for the week, but it's not going to work for your life. But instead, go to the feet of Jesus, fall in love with Jesus, and just start to do the things that he's asking you to do. And as you do those things, you'll find that you love him more, because you'll find that what he's asking you to do, there's a joy in doing what he asks you to do. And it's a virtuous cycle. As you spend time at the feet of Jesus and then you go live it out. You spend time at the feet of Jesus and then you go live it out. You spend time at the feet of Jesus and you go live it out. It's a virtuous cycle in your life. So not asking you just to muster, man, everybody just go this, at least get, you know, write, let's write down three names and go this week and tell those people about Jesus. No, no just go love Jesus. And then I'm pretty sure you're going to end up telling other people about him. Just go love Jesus. This week, just go love Jesus. And I'm pretty sure you're not going to but help but to tell somebody. Because it's just going to flow out of you. You're not going to have to force it. You're not going to have to manufacture it. you just to start opening your mouth. And even in the things that you do and how you treat people, you're going to see that person perhaps in a new light with a new love. it's going to come out of your heart. Because there's something really, I mean, and I know this is true in my own life, when I'm not really, really connected to Jesus, I don't talk about him to other people that much, and when I am, I can't help it. And yes, you know, some people have gift of evangelism, and some people don't. Whatever. Because... What we see in the book of Acts is that Jesus said, you all will be witnesses for me. And then the 120 first ones, I'm sure they, all the 120 didn't have the gift of evangelism, but they were all testifying of the greatness of Jesus Christ. Don't say it's not my gift. Just say, Lord, help me to love you. And then, Lord, if you give me some opportunity, I'll take it. I'll take it. Lord, if you give me an opportunity an opportunity today, I'll take it. And part of it's just being aware. Because sometimes it's that person who checks out your groceries at the store that needs to know that Jesus loves them today. Sometimes it's an hour-long conversation, but sometimes it's a 30-second word. Hey, I just want you to know Jesus loves you today. You know Jesus loves you? Man, somebody's life can be changed. Go out to eat, We've had people do this, and I don't know why we don't do it more. But, you know, hey, we're going to give thanks for our food. Is there anything we could pray for you about? I mean, we've seen waitresses and waiters just start crying at that question. Because what has happened in their life in the previous days has prepared them to hear that and to hear, hey, Jesus loves you. can't stop, won't stop. Because we, you know, we have a lot of negativity in our world. And there are, there are, I mean, and, and, I'm, and I'm the f- first out, you, you can go check my Facebook to see, you know, I'm not afraid to say what I think about some of the stuff that's going on in our nation right now. And I know some of that's not popular with some people. Because people don't like to hear, hey, you're wrong and you don't really understand. But I know because I've made all those same mistakes. I've had all those same wrong thoughts and I've had to be corrected. But our world is a negative place in so many ways, and we have to just do more than identify problems. It's not enough. It's not enough to say, well, we've got this problem and that problem. That negativity doesn't help people. We actually have to offer solutions. As far as Jesus, our best solution is the love of Jesus. It's Jesus himself. We talk about all the problems that we have in terms of division in our nation. And I look at it and say, you know, Dr. King said uh, proximity without intimacy is a problem. It's a true statement. True statement. And so, you know, the reality is this morning, if you're white and you don't have, I'm not talking, you know, everybody likes to say, oh, I've got my token, you know, not saying token, but that's what it ends up being. Oh, I've got a, I've got a black friend. Oh, well, that's, that's well, okay. Um, No, if you have, do you have black friends? Friends, friends, deep friendships enough to say how do you feel about what's going on what is your perspective, what do you see inform me please answer, I have this question, and having dialogue having dialogue, and these dialogues are important that we have I had opportunity actually Friday on the phone for an hour with Lorenza Harrington who played for the Denver Nuggets and happened to go to the same university I did, so we talk for an hour on the phone because of everything that he's lives in Charlotte and everything that's just happened in Charlotte, and that's where my school was, right outside of Charlotte. So I care about a lot about what's happening there right now. And I'm asking him questions. Okay, so this happened in Tulsa, this happened here. What are the differences? What do you see? What, else, what are the other underlying things that are going on that I'm not hearing about in the media that I'm not seeing? And those conversations are extremely informative and powerful, helpful for us. And that's how we learn and we grow. We learn and we grow. So I hope that that maybe helps you a little bit. But you know, you diversify your friendships, and then you'll you'll understand a little bit more. And also, it'll increase your capacity of love and increase your capacity to share the love of Jesus with other people. But it, it comes from making you got, you got, those things just don't happen. You, You have to make some effort. You know, we have to make some effort, but we also have to ask God to move in our hearts and God to open doors for us and to give us opportunities and to help us to see and to understand. So the council, verse 21, threatened them further, finally let them go because they didn't know how to punish them without starting a riot. For everyone was praising God for this miraculous sign, the healing of a man, lame man had been lame for more than 40 years. So at this time, the apostles, the church, they're protected from physical violence. That's going to change here in a few chapters. That's not going to stay consistent. But yeah, Peter and John, they stood for justice. And just a couple principles in standard for justice. One is that might does not make right. Might does not make right. Two, taking a stand against injustice often involves confrontation. It just does. We don't want it to, but it does. And three, that our focus should be on Jesus and his gospel. That that has to be, at the end of the day, that's our key focus, because that's our solution. That's our ultimate solution, our ultimate help, both for the oppressed and for the oppressor. Both the oppressed and the oppressor need Jesus. So it changes the it gives hope, changes the heart and gives the hope of those who are oppressed and changes the heart and gives hopes for those who have been oppressors. Do we believe even this, this morning that God reaches out and touches and changes the hearts of violent and wicked people? We do, and we have a hope in that. We have a hope in that. I'm just going to read verses 22 through 31 in our small groups this week. We can put a little more focus there. It says, As soon as they were freed, Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them what the leading priests and elders had said. When they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God. O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, you spoke long ago, By the Holy Spirit, through our ancestor David, your servant, saying, Why were the nations so angry? Why did they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepared for battle. The rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. In fact, this happened here in this very city. For Herod and Tippus, Pontius Pilate, the governor, the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were all united against Jesus, your holy servant, whom you you anointed, But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after this prayer, I mean, that's an awesome prayer. And they're all praying that together. That's an awesome prayer. After this prayer, the meeting place shook and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And then they preached the word of God with boldness. But notice that order there. They prayed, you know. They, they had communion and fellowship with God. Their hearts were united together in that. God moves. I mean, he, he doesn't always do this, but in this case, I mean, He literally shook the building. He literally rocked the house that they were in. I mean, literally. And then they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached. Then they preached, and a lot of that preaching, again, was not just you know out on street corners or in the temple or whatever. It was you know in the marketplace. It was in the places where the disciples you know went to work. It was in their in their neighborhoods. You know, having people over for meals and sitting down face to face and talking about Jesus. And that's a, where a lot of it happens. A lot of it doesn't happen here on a Sunday morning. It happens in your classroom and in your place of work and on a basketball court or on a soccer field or at a restaurant. It's where it happens. It's where it happens. And so I encourage you this week to say that prayer. You know, once, you, once you've spent time at the feet of Jesus, once you've been filled with the love of Jesus, but just say, Lord, today if you give me some opportunity, to be a light for you. Lord, if you give me some opportunity to speak your name, Lord, if you give me an opportunity today to make a difference in somebody else, else's life, Lord, for your glory and for your honor, I'll take it. Help me to take it in humility. Help me be a person of peace and send me to those who, who, who need and who are ready, Lord, to hear from you. To hear from Change somebody might change somebody's life, somebody's eternal trajectory. It's not you doing that, but of course it's the Lord. But He's He's using you, and He needs willing vessels, humble servants who will not allow their desire. And put this carefully, but who will not allow their desire for peace override their boldness. Because we want to have peace with each person, right? We don't want to have conflict. We don't have disagreements and difficulties. But man, we cannot use that as an excuse to be silent about the best one in the universe. Can't use that as an excuse. I'm afraid we use that as an excuse. Of, no, we don't want to offend people. Why well, of course we don't want to offend people. And we also have the problem of so many people just not thinking in how they're approaching things and yes, offending people unnecessarily. Not by the gospel, but just by being rude. Also known as politics. But if you want a lesson in what that looks like, look at politics. And that's our lesson of like, we don't want to approach it like that. We want to approach it in love and humility, not with arrogance. So may God help us to be bold, but first of all, may we sit at the feet of Jesus and love him and be filled with his love, be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness to us today. We thank you for this great day. We get to celebrate your salvation, God. Um, So Lord, we do pray we'd be filled with your love, we'd be filled with the Holy Spirit, we'd be filled with boldness. And that throughout our lives, Lord, we would be people who can't stop, won't stop. Being your witnesses, being people who tell others about you. All the chances we get, Lord. Thank you for that when we we blow the opportunities you give us, you still give us more opportunities, Lord. Thank you that your love is great and your grace is great. Lord, fill us with your love and your grace. Help us to love you so much. Hear Jesus that we can't help but tell others about you. Lord, that's our, our heart's desire this morning. Fill us with your love so much that we cannot be silent. We just can't stop. And we can give your solutions for our broken world in humility, knowing that they're not of us, God, but they're of you. So as we take that bread and that cup this morning, we remember what Jesus has done for us. As we walk down to the river, for Raleigh's baptism, and we remember what you've done for us, dear Jesus. We say thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, dear Jesus. In your precious name.